Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com or if you're following us on the YouTube Sonic Cinema Podcast page. I'm very pleased to be joined by a filmmaker whom I talked to a few years ago with regards to one of his own films. Um, this is actually the first time we're really going to uh, dive deep into a uh, film not of his, but it's one from the uh, class of 1999 that definitely uh, cast a pretty big shadow, to say the least, um, not just in its own right, but with regards to the uh, two sequels and countless other projects that it left in its wake. It is the uh, Wachowski's The Matrix, and I'm pleased to be joined by uh, writer and director David Spoutro as we uh, discuss it today. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, man. It's my pleasure. So I, I have... I have pretty vivid memories of when I went to go see The Matrix the first time 20 years ago. Um, it was, I was still in college. I met my uh, mom actually one afternoon to uh, go see it opening weekend, I believe. And uh, I, I, I did not have the reaction that a lot of people had, which was just absolute uh shock and awe of what they just saw. And um, it, it really was a uh, revolutionary film for a lot of American audiences. And it's funny to think that it's probably like, I don't know, I, I, I haven't checked to see where it actually landed on the uh, box office for that year. feels like it's kind of in the middle of the top ten, if based on how many people were talking about it, you would think it would have been as uh, busy as, like, The Sixth Sense or The Fan Menace that year. Yeah. Um, what What were your memories of watching The Matrix the first time? You know, it's funny. I, uh, I saw it, <laughs> I think I saw it, like, two weeks after it came out, and I didn't have much interest in seeing it. I mean, I, was, I thought I would maybe see it in the theater. I wasn't such a huge in the theater goer because I, I worked at a, a video store, so I'd see everything on video. <laughs> and I remember, I, and I remember the trailer. Uh, I, I remember the first time I saw the trailer uh, for another film earlier that year. And I was really disinterested in it because I had been like reading about it on like those early internet film sites where they, you know, promote movies. And it sounded a lot like uh, Johnny Mnemonic, mm-hmm. which I was like, I was like, this is, he's going to, he's going to do this again. This is really weird. <laughs> uh, and you know, like the trailer had some cool moments, but I still thought, like, I mean, like even the 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 whoa, at yeah. first I was like, I was like, oh, this is gonna be bad. And and I saw it, and I was I I went two weeks after it had come out, uh, and I remember being pleasantly surprised. I wasn't as shocked and all, like probably like you, um, maybe because I had been exposed to comic books and manga and you know. Uh, John Woo movies and things like that. So some of that stuff that was I thought was very well done, entertaining, right. wasn't so new to me. But I thought it was I thought it was very well done, and I was actually surprised at how, you know, uh, I, I don't even think when I saw it I realized it was the guys who did Bound, which I enjoyed because yeah. it's so different. It, it didn't it didn't didn't cross my mind. Uh, so I, I mean it was I thought it was really well done. So I think I was surprised not so much by like what kind of movie it was, but that it was far better than I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned you mentioned Giant Demonic, which I didn't even think about. Um, yeah. As a point of reference, I the I part of the reason I, I feel like to a certain extent I kind of hate hate this because over the years it did cloud my judgment on the film for a while. Uh, part part of why I had a hard time really uh, resonating with. Uh, the Matrix in the same way that a lot of people did is because the the ideas, the concepts, and the story beats and the story themes and stuff like that really just reminded me so much of uh, Dark City, which had come out the year before. Sure. And, um, you know, I would find out later that they used the same sets. They ended up on the same sets in Australia and all of that stuff. So it's that... I kind of had I kind of had to stick up my craw for a while with the Matrix, and I wasn't a big fan of it. And it wasn't necessarily that I wasn't as familiar with anime or manga or comic books or 
anything like that. Um, although, I mean, I wasn't really at the time. I, I was hardcore into John Woo films. I love John Woo by this point. But um, it just, like, after a really good beginning, it just, it sort of, once it starts really going into the ideas of the Matrix and stuff like that, I kind of zoned out. And I was a little (laughs) bored by it. I mean, I mean, the first one looks like uh, it, it's it's you know easy peasy compared to how, like how meta and crazy the other ones got, which yeah. I think uh, killed it off. But but I mean, like I think you know it's funny. I, I think the thing that actually got me into the theater was they were running some kind of um, it's like a TV spot uh, where it had, had been doing very well, and, and I'd heard some buzz about it. But um, there was something about like uh, unfortunately we can't tell you what the Matrix is. You have to go see it for yourself. And I thought that was kind of like it was a little cutesy, but I thought I was like, all right, I'm gonna go. Because like, I was like, if, if this is, and, and I remember when they, when the premise of like what it what the Matrix is and did it wasn't that difficult. I mean, they they play with a lot of philosophical ideas about mm-hmm. freedom of will. I mean, and and then like as the sequels and and just go on and on. And I'm sure like their 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 further work, like that Netflix show that I haven't seen, they explore very deep philosophical and in the weeds kind of stuff. And but just for what the matrix is, it's not you really could just explain it in a sentence of like, you know, yeah. it's like <laughs> Terminator Terminator 2 robots took over and in order to live, they they kidnapped people and used them as batteries and kept them asleep in a in a regular mundane world while they fed off them which is like yeah it's an, it's it's an original interesting idea but it's not it, does, it doesn't go any deeper than that and i always thought mm-hmm. that was like really funny that people acted as if it was like some heightened unexplainable plot where i was oh, like that's God. pretty yeah. That's, and I think yeah. that's part and i think that's part of it too where it's like i remember like a time magazine article where it's like talking about all of the inspirations with not just like pop culture but in terms of philosophy and religion and spirituality and stuff like that and basically i had so many people i had like a couple professors in college who just could not get enough of the matrix and it's like you know and these aren't these aren't film professors either these are music professors but they they just were like they were just loving the matrix left and right and i'm like I didn't really, I, I, it, I didn't feel that way. I, I yeah. didn't, you know, it's like, I, I think you're, you're, you're looking a little too much into this movie than, you know, now, yes, there are some interesting philosophical ideas. There are some interesting science fiction ideas, but like, like you said, there are a lot of these ideas that we've seen before. They just put them together in a new way. Yeah, I mean, they kind of, I mean, other than cribbing from different kinds of pop culture, action movie, comic book kind of stuff to kind of stitch together their their visuals and their, their sound, it was sort of um, kind of a best of, of again, of philosophy and Eastern religion and mm-hmm. even Christianity with like a Messiah figure. And like, you know, it, it, it's funny because there is all that stuff there. Um, and I think that, um, and I could, I actually under, could understand why like um, professors might enjoy the film because it <laughs> I think could make it really easy to explain some of these heavier concepts to people yeah. by just showing them something. But I, my, my, I think the whole thing was that the actual premise of the film was a lot easier a sell. And I think, I think that was almost kind of smart in that, like, I mean, we're, it, we're long far removed from 20 years now from, from the matrix in that time period that like Hollywood wanted it bare bones. I mean, they still want it simple, but like, even more so, like bare bones, simple, like log log line, easy. Yeah. Um, and the Matrix at that time, even a simple premise of like robots took over and they use humans as batteries to keep them asleep. You know, like that was like that was heavy. So I think the interesting way they sold it was like, here's all these mysterious visuals, and the only way that you can figure this out, you know, is if you take the red pill and come see this movie. Yeah. And I think a lot. And then once they had you in the theater. I mean, they made they made an enter they made a much better film than I thought it was going to be. So I think mm-hmm. that was the like then then it was people who were spreading the buzz of like, have you seen this? This is you know <laughs> different. This is you know. I definitely appreciate more than I did now. I mean, I basically i I look at it sort of in the same way that I do the sequels. In the 
I, I do think it's better than the sequels, but I look at it in the kind of the same way, where ultimately they're interesting ideas, but it's fundamentally kind of a big, dumb Hollywood action movie. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing no. wrong with that whatsoever. It's like, I think one of the things that really bugged me for so long, yeah, I mean, still kind of bugs me, but not as much, is just the whole idea that, oh, this is like, this is this is the new Star Wars. And so uh-huh. like, we were, at the time, we were also two months away from the fan mess coming out. And, um, you know, it's and it's not necessarily the fact that this is the new Star Wars, the, the connection to Star Wars, and given how much I love Star Wars that bugged me, it's this whole idea that, oh, this is the new movie that you're supposed to appreciate. And it's like, yeah, I don't, though. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, the, I mean, like, even as the new Star Wars trilogy and even the most recent Star Wars trilogy and films have come out, I feel like 20 years on from the original Star Wars, like, especially back then, I feel like everything was trying, they were, or, or rather they were trying to market as the next Star Wars because, because the 20th front anniversary fandom had gotten so big again, like yeah. of the old films yeah. and because of the upcoming films, everybody wanted to, the Lord of the Rings was the next Star Wars. Harry Potter was the next <laughs> Star Wars. Like, and, and these films ended up being their own, you yeah. know, and they're, God, they're still making sequels to them now, but like they, <laughs> at, at, which is, which is great, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think a lot of that was also just trying to make it as if like this new, you know, other than being franchise hungry back when they didn't have a lot of franchises as, right. as we do now. Um, <laughs> I, I think that was, I think that was their big thing, you know? Yeah. And I, I think one of the, one of the things that kind of struck me about this film, and I mean, I, I think part of the thing that kind of bugs me about, uh, the the philosophical bent on the that the film goes on is that so much of what Morpheus is saying or what the Oracle is saying to Neo it it it's like profundity it's basically co- fortune cookie wisdom. Yes, I mean, yes, it's yeah. not necessarily overly deep, but I feel like for some reason because of the fact that it was Lawrence Fishburne saying it that we that you know a lot of people were like yeah this is really profound no it's, not. it's <laughs> no he sold he sold the hell out yeah. of it. that entire <laughs> i'll say this that the one i think i think and maybe probably one of the more underrated aspects because now you can't even conceive of yeah of it any other way is how <laughs> well cast that film was every oh, single God, part yes. the villains like uh the supporting parts mm. um Trish, Pat, Joe, joey pan you know like all these people yeah fit those roles so well that you almost take it for granted about how, one, how much that probably aided the film i mean i i one of the things i read about um in, in re-watching the film and just some like articles that have come out was like the idea that Will Smith was pitched this yeah. and it was going to be. Which and I remember hearing years ago. Yeah, and yeah. Of course he would have been because, I mean, he was coming off of Independence Day. He was coming off of Men Black. He was one of the biggest – he was com- becoming one of the biggest stars in Hollywood at the time. Absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, I – you know, Keanu Reeves gets a lot of crap, especially in, like, the 90s and stuff like that as far as his his – screen persona but i will always defend him in like this in speed because oh absolutely like, yeah because i feel like these move both of those movies basically play into his his strengths as an actor his strengths as a performer and as an on-screen presence and this this really does um there, there's not a lot of real moding, but at the same time, you get some feeling behind him. And yeah, I mean, that's I, one of the things I really love about this role for him. Absolutely. I mean, Keanu Reeves, other than uh, Speed, was like the first Gen X action hero. Do you know what I mean? Like, everything before that was sort of like good old, either like you had the muscle bound 80s guys or like from that different generation, but mm-hmm. never has an actor more personified not knowing who or where he is but with a purpose than keanu reeves like like <laughs> yeah like i made fun of that in the trailer that he has that big whoa moment because you know the the, the bill and ted will haunt him forever but it, it's true it's like he he so 
is that person that you would imagine being in a situation beyond his comprehension mm-hmm. and genuinely gives himself up to it. Whereas, you know, I think that the little blurb I read about Will Smith and they've asked him years later, like, do you regret doing that, not taking the film? And he's like, well, you know, clearly I was wrong about how big a hit it would be, but I don't think I could have done it to just like, I think it all worked yeah. out for the best, which is, which is probably true. Well, but I think it yeah. would have been a different movie. It would have been a completely yeah. different movie if Will Smith had done it. Oh, absolutely. But he even he even fessed up to like, well, I just I didn't understand it, and, and it's one of those things again where I'm like, I don't I don't get people who don't. It's such a and I feel like part of it is because it's cast in this whole like beyond words meta philosophical kind of uh, veil. But it's a very simple like premise. So I always when when people talk about well I wasn't sure about it because I they, I just couldn't understand it. I'm like it's a very simple. It's <laughs> I mean it's a pretty, it's the hero it's the hero story of every other movie. Yeah. With a very simple premise like. <laughs> yeah, um, I you know in the Wachowskis this is you know this is this is really I think this is my first time really bringing them up on the podcast. But I mean I I've talked about I mean I I've actually. You know, if you go back on Sonic Cinema, you can find a uh, commentary that <laughs> mine I did in the Matrix. So, I mean, we we I've talked about this movie before, but I haven't. It's it's funny because of the fact that like I became I didn't really become a Wachowski brothers or sorry Wachowski fan until later. Until actually, like, Speed Racer, I think, was the first movie of theirs that I really appreciated. And yeah. then I went back, I watched the Matrix trilogy, and it's like, yeah, okay, I, I, I appreciate these, what they're doing. I rewatched Bound, which I liked a lot more. And then, like, basically, you know, with Cloud Atlas, and then even Jupiter Ascending, which is bonkers and not very good, it, oh. you, you can see their very specific voice as a part of as all of those and that's one of the things that is so great about them as filmmakers yeah they definitely i mean they that that is the one thing that um you know uh, particularly with the matrix is even for you and i who maybe weren't um that unfamiliar with some of the visuals that they've used and Mm -hmm. and how and breathtaking they you know six seven months later toss a stone and you couldn't see a commercial or another film that wasn't doing the like (laughs) where where i think that almost kind of hurt the film later on because i I give it the um it's the pulp fiction thing or the tarantino thing rather where like then you have this entire second wave (laughs) of like inferior just like just doing all the beat notes where like the thing that was so cool and innovative has died and the sequels didn't do so well so it's 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 strange it's like uh you can have that weird backlash effect but yeah i mean they they changed they changed the game for a very long time in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. But I think, but I think it was a very, because, you know, you're doing a longer form on 1999 and I've been reading a lot now that it's 20 years about like what, I mean, what a crazy, insanely great year that was for different yeah. films and styles breaking the mold. But uh, that was an interesting way to kind of start it with like the matrix. Well, and it's interesting because of the fact that it's like, that is a really, and that's just, just that few years with the Matrix and the sequels and stuff like that, that's a very weird year for... That's a very weird time of frame for action movies. Yes. you know, yeah, throughout the 80s, you had the big muscle megastars. You had Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, all that. You know, the 90s, you had a lot of that for, like, the first half of it, and then it basically gave way to um, visual effects-driven blockbusters uh, because of the fact that CGI caught up. You had Jurassic Park. You had Twister, Independence Day, all of that. So you went to more high concept. This this feels like it's trying to combine those two with, oh, by the way, we're also going to throw Hong Kong action movies in there yeah that type of style and yeah you're right like there was like yeah you can throw a stone in a theater without hitting another theater showing a movie with uh you know wire effects for a while felt like um and then you you had the inevitable parody with scary movie 
And yes. then you had another movie that just really raised the bar for it again with Crouching Tiger and Dragon. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 really interesting to think about when you when you look at the uh, so much of the visual effects the so much of the visual effects in the Matrix are very they're they're pretty invisible actually. Like the biggest effects that most people remember are obviously the bullet time, as well as the wire effects for the wire action. Right. And um, you know, but at the same time, you you just it's they do such a great job with uh, Bill Pope and the production designers of creating this world. It's a very artificial world, and it's something that where it's like. Once you once you see it, it's like yeah, I kind of understand. You know, you can you can see as the film is going, it's like yeah, you can kind of see where this is headed and why it's headed in the direction it is. But um, it's it I I will say it's like watching you you watch the movie now and it's like I I think it it's it does a decent job of building a virtual reality and a virtual reality in terms of storytelling. And I think it it does it about as well as I think any film has ever done it. Yeah, and I think I think, you know, it had the benefit of being released at a time where, you know, the internet was really starting to come of age and yeah. um and the like just certain concepts of like hacking and like, you know, as dopey as they're even probably portrayed in that film at the mm -hmm. time. It's sort of it was something people could more readily ingest and understand mm -hmm. and kind of like inf influenced a lot of stuff after that in, in that regard. But just in terms of like storytelling too, I think one of the benefits that film has at the time period it was released is like you were saying, like some of the visual effects are almost invisible is that they make them count. It's not so much a CGI fest and a lot of it yeah. is practical. It was that perfect blend that I think a lot of films, especially today, when you know 90% of the film is put together in post with like you know multiple companies and yeah. different continents basically animating it like a video game um, competing with video games um, this still puts you as a person in it because you see the people doing the stunts you know you, they did the 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 work i think some of the guys that um, the stunt people that worked on this are now directing and working with Reeves on John Wick and stuff like yeah. that. And, and, yeah. and, and that's still like the reason I think those films are so successful with mid, like very, no CGI or minimal CGI is because you can't really practical effects and, and, and stunts and real things um, always just, there's just an innate, it just feels real, you know, mm -hmm. like you really like, and I, and I think that that this film was like that perfect blend of like, trying new visual concepts and new technology they built the same way James Cameron would do for his, some of his films. And at the same time, grounding it in a very human basic story where you, you don't feel removed, you know, from the character, even when they're doing some, some very like supernatural things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I will say though, it's like per, per, I think part of the thing that I, I have a problem with the first time I saw it was it, it felt like, it was hard to really, it was hard to really feel the stakes in the story, and especially something like the uh, lobby shootout at the end, where it's like, oh hey, we're gonna shoot all of these bullets at you, and you know, basically like the bad guys are just like, you know, they're bad guys in a video game, where it's like you're just shooting yeah. them off and stuff like that. You you know. You you don't feel like those are actual people, you know. And I, yeah. I think that's one of the I think that's sort of one of the one of the issues the the film has sometimes when it comes to the action. Yeah, it's interesting too because now I'm now I'm actually now that you said that I'm kind of remembering maybe like two days after I did see it, which I think was like a, two weeks after it came out around this time period was was the Columbine shooting and how much yeah. they tied that into it with. I mean, the trench coats and the guns, and I think they would, you know, every time they did a news story about it, they showed clips. And it's interesting because there is this sort of hyper, hyper kinetic, violent, a lot of gun work, um, but it is sort of bloodless, yeah. and, and which is, which is 
you know, I guess appropriate for the artificial side of it, and also you know, to keep keep, keep it with a realistic rating for yeah. for a studio, Warner Brothers studio film. Well, I mean, but it's still it, an R-rated film. It yeah, was, yeah, it, yeah. Is it's not like it was a PG thirteen. It was rated R. So, it was I mean, rated R. Yeah, the, I I did not know that. Yeah. So I mean, huh. it's, yeah, I mean, but no, you, yeah, you, and you brought up Columbine, and yeah, I mean, I I rem, you know, and I'm. Look, I mean, I'm I'm somebody who words like I've always felt like the the people who try to conflate uh, violent movies, violent video games, and stuff like that with violent actions is I I feel like that argument is inherently ridiculous. I I've yes, always yeah. felt that way, and but yeah, I mean, I I remember that being a big flashpoint because of the fact that um because. Uh yeah, this had just come out, and the killers of Columbine wore trench coats, and you know Neo, Trinity are wearing trench coats in here, and it's like, oh look at this, look at this. It's like, yeah, you're, 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 you're reaching a little bit. Um, you're, you're just, it's, it's, and it was an easy. I feel like it was a convenient. Uh, reference for people to make at that time when they were making that argument because it had just come out. Not only had it just come out, but it become a massive cultural phenomenon. Yes, and I think you know, um, particularly for the Wachowskis, um, they sort of in their work um, because of because of you know their sexuality and because of their 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 ideas and philosophies, sort of always were sort of for the disaffected youth, the disaffected people on the outskirts and, and those themes were always in their work. So I think a lot yeah. of that, they also sort of tied into it because a lot of it's like, you know, it's almost like Catcher in the Rye was like, everyone's a phony. And so all this stuff. And so anytime, sadly for a while, <laughs> anytime someone shot somebody or did something high profile, they would find like a paper bag of that book. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I, you know, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't think, especially considering this film came out probably three weeks before that atrocity happened. I don't think that was the defining thing that, that pushed anybody over the edge as mm-hmm. much as, there might be aspects of certain cultural things like them, you know, that, that, that certain people find themselves attached to for different reasons. But I think, I think I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily buy into that whole, like, Oh, but I do remember it being uh, which is, which is one of those things where I wonder if that also is as part of its history, um, you know, it, it not being as big a film as some of the other films, um, mm-hmm. but having this sort of like cultural cash years later, if that was, was an aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, it's like I, I think um, there, there are individual, you know, it's like I, I talked about how I'm kind of uh, lukewarm on the film overall, but I mean, I, I definitely, I know why I watched it a few weeks ago to prepare for this podcast. There were scenes that some of them were scenes that always I have always loved. I always thought were fantastic. I think the awakening. The scene where Neo wakes up in the uh, farm, in the yes. uh, battery farm, that the uh, machines have humanity in, I, I, I still think that's one of the most amazing images I think science fiction has given us in terms of films for the past 20 years. I, I think it's a remarkable sequence. And I, I love the... I love the scene near the end with uh, Agent Smith interrogating Morpheus, where we really get a where we really get insight into how the machines view humanity. Yeah. Um, I mean, there there are moments like that where it's like the the storytelling is just as strong as uh, as as you want it to be. I mean. There are also times where it's like it's just a big action movie, <laughs> and so like yeah. I, I think that sometimes that balance is there. I mean, I think the scene at the end where they're trying to rescue Morpheus, I think that's a decent example of that. But or it, at least once once you get past the lobby shootout, I think the lobby shootout is just it's very perfunctory and not really that interesting to look at I, yeah. I feel like because of the fact that you had the techno I, I think because you had the techno music you had the different angles the slow motion 
I mean, this is one of those movies where it's like I'm very slow motion is 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 a tool, not the shouldn't be the guiding principle with which yeah. you shoot action. I mean, even John Woo himself has missed has has forgotten that over the years. If you oh god yeah look at MI two the next year, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's one of those things where it's like I I think especially like in the helicopter and you know him using the bolt and your your first real time seeing the him uh you know him trying to dodge the bullets and stuff like that i think that's those are moments where it's like the action and the narrative and that that's when the movie really kind of works yeah yeah and i think you know one of the one of the great things they did too um you know when they hired you know you uh, I'm gonna kill his name Yun Win Wu Ping uh, for the kung fu work is that you know, but beyond the wire work and some of the slow motion stuff I think one of the more revolutionary things they did and nowadays it's kind of nuts with these long takes and how they do stuff but just doing wide long yeah. no edit choppy choppy fight scenes which was like kind of unheard of you'd use a lot of stuntmen a lot of editing to kind of disguise even if you're doing something more martial arts heavy and oh yeah sort of I mean that and again I think that's part of also what what sucks you in just inherently as, as you're watching a film is you're like, wow, these people are really, you know, there's no break. You're, you're, you're zoned into it. You're, this is happening in real time. Um, oh, yeah. and the choreography and, and, and that it. was another, and that was another phenomenon happening. And I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot. That's another, that was another phenomenon at the time that was happening where it's like, you have all the, you have all these music video directors who are transitioning to film and they're bringing that quick cut aesthetic um, with them, yeah, and so that that's doing a lot to transform uh, action movies. And yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right as far as the action in in the Matrix words, like it does it it feels very different from the type of action that we were. It doesn't just feel different in the type of action that we were seeing at the time because of the wire work, because of the the uh, the way they were using visual effects in slow motion, but the fact that they weren't also it wasn't also a cut a minute. It was or a yeah, cut a yeah. second. It's like it was letting laying an action sequence play out over an expanded amount of time to where now we're sort of going back into, you know, now we're seeing sort of a return to that, or at least there, there are people who are, depending on the sequence, you're seeing sort of a comp, the type of sequence you're seeing sort of a combination of that, those two aesthetics. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think nowadays you're also back to where you don't really have action directors so much yeah. whereas in you know in the, i mean you and, and, and there's very few people that can really direct action as 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 well as like say somebody um God, I'm, I'm blanking on his name for a second but he did predator die hard in the 80s he's fantastic yeah. yeah i mean it's somebody who can just direct an action scene and it's not about making it the biggest or most explosive or doing some crazy shot everything just you just shoots action there are people yeah. who cannot shoot a fight nowadays i think just because of i mean 90 percent of what we see is, is, a, is a marvel universe movie in terms of big blockbuster action kind of stuff mm -hmm. is that y your your action is sort of directed by vfx houses doing you know be designing sequences with the writer and the director and then kind of like blocking it out that way months and months yeah. in advance versus how is this organically telling a story keeping you in it's like okay so this is our vfx budget and these are our sweet spots and this is what we're going to do and this is and then that, that's it. Whereas mm -hmm. this is sort of like, you know, they had a concept. They hired basically comic book artists to storyboard everything and they organically built it. But I think a lot of what really ties it together is that you're just watching people, one, do their own stunts, which which even back then I think was very kind of yeah taboo for, 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 for a variety of good reasons. Yeah. And, uh, and, the, and also the amount of time they took, you know, when you read about um, – they do more of that now, but back then that was pretty unheard of too, because they used a lot of stunt people and it wasn't so much action heavy it was mm -hmm. the prep, the prep work that they did on this um, to train everybody and to, to, to block these scenes out and then to shoot them and the injuries that were occurring yeah. uh, as people were doing <laughs> stuff. 
Yeah, and and I mean it's it is one of those things where it's like, um, I I'm I'm even you know talking about this. It's like I'm starting to have more and more appreciation for the movie than I probably ever have because of the fact that I mean yeah it it's it's basically it's basically one of those movies where you 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 take a concept you build the concept and it's like okay so how are we going to realize that and i think i think the wachowskis had a i think they have perfect way of doing it i i i think it's in i do think it's an imperfect film i don't think it's a I, I don't think there are things about the movie. I do think there are still things about the movie that don't work, but ultimately, I I think for the type of movie that they're trying to do, I think it's about as close to as good of a representation of that type of movie that uh, they probably could have made at the time. And yeah. they did make uh, when it comes to uh, the Matrix trilogy in general. No, I think that nails it. I think I think the film as a whole, quality wise, is good. It's entertaining. Like I enjoyed it. And I think I think overall though, I think one of the things is besides the creative and financial misfires of the sequels and how much the glut of um knockoff matrixy moment kind of films that came right after it, mm. I think that I think that what's really hurt it is that it, it as good a film as it is, the cultural touchstone, like what it what it means in the annals of 99 and, and just in films in general and sci-fi and action and, and visual effects, it can't hold that weight because it's not that good. Yeah. You know what I mean? As good as it is, it, it said more with, with what it, what it inspired and what it did and opened up later on than, than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where it gets like, you know, lo- lost in that mix. It just I can't hold that yeah, weight. I mean, and I, I think, I think it was a much, and I, I do think, I mean, I would say it's probably, and and also it's not like you can say, oh, this was the best summer movie of the year. Well, it came out in March, so it wasn't really a summer movie. But because yeah. um, really, if you think about if you think about the summer that happened that year, like there really was not much of anything as far as action. There were no. a lot of dramas. There were a lot of, you know, you had horror, you had comedy, you had drama, but everything basically, like, basically, it's it's like filmmakers were scared, with the exception of The Mummy, like, which came out a couple weeks before FanMess, like, people were afraid of trying to do an action movie the same year as the same summer Star Wars. Yeah, and I think I think also '98 too was such a crap for outside of like I think Armageddon, a lot of films just failed. Yeah, like a lethal weapon, like things that were dependable just didn't. So I think that they were trying to figure out what the but a comedy like something about Mary did so well. So I think there was a weird transition in Hollywood too that probably helped the Matrix and also '99 as a whole be a different year because of what happened that year. I mean, I think I think that released the fact that it was released in March, you sort of, you sort of lose its place in the year in general. Cause yeah. like the first few months of the year of 1999, it's like, you've got a couple of decent films, you know, it's like, you've got some cult films that have popped up, but ultimately, you know, you were still, you were still seeing the Oscar films from the year before, and you were seeing a bunch of teen movies. Yeah, and that was basically about it. And then the mir- the Matrix was sort of an outlier. April really didn't have anything, if I recall. I mean, it might have. Had, I'm sure there were like one or two films that came out at that time, but that were worth knowing. But it's like I don't really remember. And then once you get to the summer, it basically was, you know, people talking about Star Wars, people. You know, you had Star Wars, you had Austin Powers, you had American Pie, Eyes Wide Shut, Blair Witch Project, Sixth Sense, and it's like among many, many others. So yeah, yeah it, it's it's sort of it it's sort of the Matrix was sort of in this no man's land of a release frame where it's like it doesn't really it doesn't really have a place in it. 
But that's almost, you know, it's funny. That's just like one more thing that you can almost point to in a way that it pioneered. And yeah. that like, even back then it was, I believe January and like September were still like the dumping grounds for studio films that they were like, these aren't going to make money. So what's, what's a pretty empty release place where like, maybe we'll get something cause there's nothing else. Or it's just like, no one's going to the theaters. March, late March, early April wasn't that. I mean, there were just films that like, these are not blockbusters and these are not yeah. award films. So like, but we need to, put them someplace maybe you know there's like people are you know there's spring break which i think was also around the time they released yeah, the matrix I think so too. and i think yeah. that but now now i mean now there's no there's no dumping ground now is that pretty much you can release a film on any weekend and it's going to make 80 yeah, it has to make 80 million but and then the windows for release are shorter but the the yeah. I, I think they pioneered for a while that like sort of like uh the, the the soft kickoff of the summer movie season where you'd see some like mm-hmm. where they didn't want to have direct competition with two other or three other studio films for the 4th of July or Memorial Day weekend yeah. thing. They, they would put them out in August or they do like a March or April kind of uh, kick for them. Yeah. A um, couple of other things I definitely want to mention about uh, the movie is uh, I, I'm, I'm a big film score fan. I've been a fan of film music for as for I've been hardcore into film scores for about 25 26 years and I will say like I remember the 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 soundtrack album for this being about as big as I think any soundtrack that album had come out but yeah. I do love the Don Davis orchestral score in the Oh absolutely I, I think it's it does such a great job of like putting you in the uh, emotional mindset of this movie, setting up a personality for this movie musically that is that works within the confine with which works with the more contemporary music that they were using, but yeah. also sort of stands apart from it as well. Yeah, it, it feels very epic and at the same time ominous, which I thought was really interesting. Where like a lot of you know, even even when the hero, you know, you know, at the end when Neo is the one and, and has his moment and it's very like choiry and epic and, and orchestral, it's still there's still that like that that Matrix ominous theme of like not all is well, which I felt like it, it helps keep everything on edge. You know what I mean? Which I think is is the kind of the mindset they're hopefully going for. <clears throat> and we. You know, we we talked about the sequels and stuff like that um, a little bit, and uh, how you know there those uh, relative uh, success or lack thereof. And I I do want to mention the Animatrix, uh, the series of animated short films that animated short films that came out before the Matrix Reload did. And it's funny because I've I've always liked the Animatrix much more than the the actual Matrix movies, and I think part of it is because it I feel like it gets more those short films, especially get more into the philosophy and the ideas of the Matrix in a I think it does it in a better way than the movies do. Oh, absolutely. I, I think you know. And this might go for the Wachowskis in general, uh, for a lot of their work outside of maybe Bound, is that they have apparently so much to say. You know what I mean? And yeah. they get mired down in the weeds and every – like that they're – you know, you look at a film like Cloud Atlas, which I enjoyed, um, and it goes on forever to the point where like as much as you enjoy it and can appreciate what it is, it's like you're just so totally lost and it doesn't work. <laughs> that they're they're almost built for the the streaming formats that we have now. Like you look yeah. at the Animatrix or the Matrix, my God, if they really truly want to reboot that again and they set that up as like a streaming series of different, they that would be the best because you could explore that entire oh yeah world and different characters without it being. I, I just don't think the movies, even over a trilogy, were enough. <laughs> for them to 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 do, you know to do it, I feel like they just have because it's not so much the first movie is the only one that really has like uh I don't want to say a plot but like a setup and a story right yeah. with it with an arc yeah the arc over the trilogy is sort of like it sort of is like one of those 
those those dolls where it just keeps opening up into more different things yeah. where you're like <laughs> you're not answering any of my questions you're now just like you're making it hard like I, now i don't know what's going on kind of thing which which is the opposite of probably where you want to go but i think they would do so much better on like a, a format where they could explore that you know yeah well it's it's funny because it's like you feel like you feel like especially with the matrix reloaded that they they didn't you know, they didn't necessarily have an idea for a sequel. It's like, oh, I guess we have to make a sequel now. Now I have no doubt that they did have ideas that they didn't explore, and that, but it feels it feels like, oh, we've got to do a sequel. So now what are we gonna do? But I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know, like if it's the George Lucas thing where he said, like, for instance, that he had like these ideas about what he would do, but he didn't really until the last minute. I think I, I wonder how much of it was they had an initial idea for the trilogy, but because of how successful the Matrix was, yeah, and probably how much Warner Brothers was able to now give them like creative visionary, lead, which which happens to a lot of filmmakers, is that like you know, as much as you don't want a studio to interfere and you hear nightmare stories about, especially like Fox, like taking creative people and sort of like going nuts with stuff. Uh, I think sometimes you need a little bit of that outside influence to kind of be like, to keep, to keep you grounded. And I think with them, with those sequels, especially, I feel like they were just like, no, it's going to be the matrix, you know, on acid, like basically like 10 times 10. And they're like, dude, go do it, do it. You know? And it just doesn't work. Well, and also I think, cause one of the, one of the producers, another one of the producers, in addition to, uh, Joel Silver on the original Matrix was Barry Osborne. And so Barry Osborne went on to do the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And so basically Joel Silver was the point man producer of uh, the Matrix sequels. And so you, you can sort of see where it's like his enthusiasm for it of basically go as big as you can right without the problem is it's not really grounded in anything and i mean i think you know i think having other producers i mean it's sort of like what it is a little bit like what happened with uh sort of the prequels in a lot of people's minds where it's like you didn't have you had george lucas basically doing his vision but you didn't really have anybody saying here's maybe some way you could do this better or yeah. maybe the, here's here. You didn't have a Gary Kurtz or Lawrence Kasdan, uh, you know, saying, here's my thoughts. What, how here, here's maybe a different way to approach this and to where it's more successful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think probably a lot of what also in the original matrix would, would help it work were probably a lot of those fights where some they won, some they lost, or more importantly, I think probably just as a filmmaker, I think what, what hones the first one into more of a overall story and successful film is that everything they fought and won and got to do that was different, interesting in that film, they themselves had to kind of clarify in order to win that fight. Yeah. Whereas later on, it's just like, no, no, go ahead, go do whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A thousand, a thousand Mr. Smith sounds good. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, let's yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. A key master. Great. Great. Love it. Like, yeah. because at that point, like who, like, do they need to justify it as much as they need to, you know, even if they had to explain what it was, they didn't have to go into the detail of getting it approved and whatever. At that point yeah. they were golden. So I think just, just for you as an artist, when you're creating it, it's not so much having somebody else temper it and add to your vision as much as it is you yourself need to make sure you know what you're talking about and not just like that moment of inspiration. Like I'm sure as a musician, you might have like, Oh, that's going to sound great. And then you're like, wait, I need to figure out how I'm actually going to yeah. do this and make yeah. it work. You know, no, that, that's, yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you need to be able to, uh, step back or you have to be able to really um really decide well is this how important is this to what i'm doing you know how important is it that i'm having hundreds thousands of agent smiths uh fight neo yeah how important is that and it's like to the overall narrative and it's like what is one my what am I trying to do by doing that? And I mean, I yeah. think that's that's that's.
that's something that's sort of lost in uh, the sequels. But yeah, I I would definitely agree that that was that was probably very much a uh, guiding force for them when it came to doing the uh, original. Um, did you have any more thoughts before we uh, wrap this up? I did have one question that I actually wanted to ask you because this was my experience when I rewatched it last week too in prep for this. Um, okay. I had I saw I saw it in theater. I had watched it again when it first came out on video, and then like over the years, I'm sure I saw it maybe like like early on, like probably before even before the sequels came out. I probably saw it two other times. I think maybe like introducing it to someone who never saw it or just watching it. And I've seen parts of it on TV in the years, but I never actually sat and watched the whole movie again. Um, and I didn't love the sequels, and I was never again. I was never a huge Matrix fan as much as I appreciated the film and enjoyed it. So when I went back to watch it, I was really curious one how much I would remember of parts that aren't like so familiar that you see in you know ads and tv and stuff but also just how much like when you watch a film over and over and also now years have passed and i've made films and the more you understand about filmmaking like things you'd see that like you didn't notice the first time right yeah and i had the weirdest like experience and then i watched the film and even like the non-most popular scenes like i remembered everything and i didn't i didn't sense anything different there was nothing that stood out to me not necessarily the negative way yeah but it was really weird what a total recall of the film like there were no surprises i felt like i was like i had just seen it the day before like it was really it was it tripped me out like that never really happens to me um and so i was just curious when you watched it uh, i don't know how many times you've seen it or because you're not the biggest fan either but like was there anything that you saw that like did you have the same experience I had where like nothing surprised you or did you, was there things you're like, Oh wow. I never noticed that before. I think, I, I think there, you know, I mean, there, there are obviously scenes that one remembers, you know, better than others. Sure. When, when you go back into a movie like this, I, I've only seen a handful, maybe a half dozen times or so over the years. I mean, cause I, I only saw it once in theaters and then, I I think I'd only seen a few times more uh, on home video or DVD or Blu-ray or what have you. Um, I I would have to like I don't think there was anything that really took me by surprise or I really had just completely forgotten about in terms of individual scenes or individual moments. I. I think most of those were pretty s- relatively in my in my yeah. um, memory banks. Um, even if I don't necessarily recall them on a certain basis, it's like at least you know it's like it's not like oh man I completely forgot this scene was here. Oh no, I man I com- this is such a good scene. How could I forget this? It wasn't something like that. So I didn't necessarily I. I don't know that I would necessarily say I had the same experience you did watching it over. I mean, this was, I feel like this was the first time I really looked at the film. I think, I feel like this was the first time I really just took a step back and watched the film as a critical exercise to sort of see how I feel about it critically and to sort of suss out my feelings about it in a way that, like, I could always sort of explain oh, here's how I thought about it. And it's like, that that's one thing, but it's like, do what specific things do I really like about it? What specific things do I really not like about it? Um, most of that kind of, I I think, you know, and I'm, I'm going to be doing one for FanMess with some friends, and uh, it's sort of the same situation where it's like, I fundamentally feel similar to this, I feel similar to the way I did the first time I saw it now. I just have a very different appreciation for the things it does well. I think it does it better. I think it probably does it. Those things I hold in a little bit higher regard than I did in 1999. And the things I didn't do well... You know, some of them I couldn't necessarily articulate 20 years ago. I can definitely articulate those a bit more now. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's that's the biggest sort of uh, the. I think that's that was the biggest uh, thing that I had uh, watching it this time around. 
Hmm. But, yeah, uh, that, yeah. I, I mean, again, it was just I was just so surprised by you know. There's so many things that uh, things you loved you now hate, and things you or yeah. didn't age as well, and things you hated you 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 might even love. And you as a person, like I mean, looking at somebody who was like 16, maybe 17 when it came out, and 36 now and watching it, yeah. and I I felt same though. I felt no different watching it, but I was really taken aback by how little I was like. Like there was no little detail. There was nothing that I could like see where like, it was like just so in my head of like Mm -hmm. what this film is and was, I was really surprised. Well, I mean, I think regardless of whether you think the movie is good or not, I think any type of movie worth their weight, you know, that has a, that has something significant about it um, is, is going to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the matrix even even if I've never been a huge fan of The Matrix, I mean, I can at least acknowledge that much about it, in that it's it's something that has, it has a unique perspective on its ideas. I don't necessarily think that perspective works. I don't necessarily think it, those ideas entirely work, but, you know, it's, it's hard to get out of your head. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's something that, I, I think that's something – there's something to be said about a movie like that, that, you know, 20 years down the road – I mean, this is part of one of the things I really wanted to do about this, where to, like, you know, sort of see how some of these movies, you know, how they have aged over the past 20 years and sort of different life cycles and evolutions and stuff like that. And we've talked about a lot, that a lot with, with, with The Matrix here because that movie's life cycle – you know, it's like people, people, it blew people's minds when it came out. Then it became parodied and ripped off to the point where it's like, uh, there's a little bit of a backlash. And then the sequels came out and you had even more bla- backlash to everything going on. And now it's at a point where it's like, you know, it's, it's not at the same fever pitch. That was in 1999, but it's it's at that point where it's respected and it's a yeah. for what it did. Yeah. Um. Well, David, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh man, it's my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, I know we've got a couple more that we're uh, going to talk about um, for the class of 1999, and I'm definitely looking forward to those uh, those discussions with you as well. Oh, yeah, it's a great year. I, I talk about any of them anytime. I'd like to thank David Spoutro for joining me today on the Class of 1999 series of the Sonic Cinema podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed our uh, conversation for The Matrix. We've got a couple more coming up for Sleepy Hollow and The Mummy. Uh, and also eh, maybe one or two others, depending on how I – depending on uh, time. Um Coming up, uh, for patrons, hit me up on patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema if you haven't already. I've got a lot of content from the Atlanta Film Festival that I've been sharing. Uh, that'll still be, that's basically going to be a month-long thing at this point. Uh, I got behind a few days, um, but uh, I've got plenty more that I'm going to be sharing with you guys about that. So I hope you check us as well as other uh, content, um, including something I did on 1994, uh, sort of along the lines of what I'm doing with 1999, but a bit differently because it's just me uh, talking about that particular year. Um, Coming up on the class of 1999, we've got a uh, movie that was name-checked in this one, in particular when it came to uh, The Matrix, but uh, is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year as well, obviously, and is also another controversial uh, science fiction adventure. So uh, hit me up on www.sonics-cinema.com. Find me on social media. Find us at the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube page. And for now, this is Brian Scuttle. Thank you very much. (laughs) 